1: This is Keys to the City with Anthony Weiner. Welcome to Keys to the City, a podcast about the problems facing New York City and the enduring power of ideas. I'm Anthony Weiner. From existential threats to pet peeves, each week together we'll resist the temptation to curse the darkness. Instead, we'll try to light a candle and bring to light things that have worked before or new ways to get things done. Today on episode six, we're going to be talking about tobacco smuggling, going to idea 40 in my idea book. As I've mentioned before, a lot of these ideas are going to come from my two books of ideas that I wrote when I was preparing to run for mayor in 2005 and then again in 2013, my years in Congress, my years working for Chuck Schumer as a staffer in the 1980s, and my seven years working in the New York City Council. So tobacco smuggling, where does this come from? What's the issue and why does it impact any of us? Well, If you're like me and I don't smoke, I never have, you're probably familiar with the idea of sin taxes. Sin taxes are fees that we put on to certain behaviors that we don't want to ban outright, but we know have a deleterious effect to society or have expenses that it costs to government. Most commonly associated with this are taxes, for example, on alcohol or taxes on gambling. And of course, in this case, taxes on smoking. We do it for two reasons. One, we want to discourage the behavior by making it more expensive for people to do it, and also we want to offset the costs associated with the behavior. And In this case, alcohol and tobacco, enormous cost to society in terms of the drain that it puts on our healthcare system, the amount that it disables people from the workforce and things like that. So, this story goes back to July of 2002, the then relatively new mayor of the city of New York, Mike Bloomberg, begins what becomes a fairly famous, I don't know what to call it, almost a jihad against smoking in New York City. And we see the results today. There's no smoking in restaurants in New York, no smoking in parks. It's a very, very different city than it used to be. But one of the elements of this approach was to try to essentially make smoking so expensive that New Yorkers stopped doing it. So he raised pushed through a raise in the city tobacco tax, which was 8 cents per pack at the time, to a dollar 50. For those of you who are doing the math in your head, that's 1875% increase. Let me tell you a little bit of what, about the way this is all structured. The federal government has a next size tax that they put on every pack of cigarettes sold in the entire country of $1 and 1 cent. I don't know why the 1 cent, but it's basically a dollar and then they permit states all put on their own taxes. And in rare occasions, New York City being one of them, those states permit localities to do taxes of their own. So the net-net is that here we are years later, the state put charges $4.35 on their excise tax and the city of New York has that $1.50 for a total of $5.85 on every pack of cigarettes sold. So this was done in an effort to raise revenue, as I mentioned, but also it was an effort to really crack down on smoking. But what wound up happening is that it might have done none of the above. Some revenue was raised, but what we found out is that the effect of this was to increase the amount of tobacco being smuggled from over the city borders in Nassau and frankly, from other cities and other states. And why is that? There's an enormous difference between our taxes and those in other uh, other states. I'll give you some examples, Georgia, 37 cents compared to our $5.85. North Carolina, which I'm mentioning for a reason, is 45 cents. The average in the whole country is $1.91. And as I mentioned, we charge $5.85. And while the revenue went up, we saw a dramatic, dramatic, dramatic reduction in the amount of tobacco cigarettes that were sold here lawfully. And I make that distinction for a reason. It fell from about 42 million cartons that were sold here in New York City and taxed and stamped down to 7 million in 2013. That's an 83% reduction. It's even further down now. Now, you might say to yourself, well, it could just be that that New Yorkers reduce smoking by 83%. Well, I wish that was the case. The national average based on surveys, including the surveys that cover New York, is a 27% reduction in that same kind of 12-year period. So the chances that we have an 83% reduction are virtually zero. And when you consider one other little data point, we know how many uh, cigarettes get sold nationally. And we know that nationally, the reduction in amount of cigarettes being sold in that year that we first put our tax in, and we saw about a 58%, 59% reduction amount of, of, uh, of, of tobacco being taxed. The national reduction in the amounts of cigarettes being sold was 1%. So there's no way that that was happening. So then the question becomes, could it just be that maybe people were buying tobacco somewhere else? The simple fact is that it was being smuggled in from states that have low tobacco taxes and some places, Indian reservations, that have zero tobacco taxes. And let me break it down for you to show you how profitable a business it is to be smuggling tobacco and how easy it is. Remember, this is not big bottles of alcohol. This isn't guns. These are relatively like nondescript boxes. A carton of Newport, which was the most popular brand sold in New York City, which contains 10 packages, 10 packs of cigarettes, would normally cost in New York City $125 if you would go buy it lawfully. When you take out the New York State tax, that's forty-three dollars less. Take out the New York City tax, that's fifty dollars less. Take out sales tax, that's eleven fifty less. The cost to buy it with no taxes at all, which you can do in an Indian reservation on Long Island or in North Carolina, seventy dollars. So when you do the math, a small panel truck, when you look at the geometry of it, it's about twenty thousand dollars that you can make bringing in cigarettes from a no-tax location into New York City. And they're very easy to find. If you go to a local bodega tomorrow and you say, hey, is there anything maybe cheaper than what you've got on display here for cigarettes? Or if you know the guy, he probably has a secret compartment somewhere in that bodega that will be able to find you cheaper tobacco. Because this business is such a big business. And remember, this is a tax that is on an addictive substance. So people are prepared to go to great lengths to be able to find it. There's enormous amount of profitability to it. So there's a lot of scoff laws that are being created by this, this disparity in taxes. And another thing that's happening with this disparity of taxes is this is creating criminal enterprises. This is not just one off guys grabbing a truck or grabbing or popping cigarettes into the the trunk of their car and then driving around the neighborhood selling them. In 2000, I want to say four, the FBI did a big sting and brought down an organization that was moving cigarettes around the country from low tax states to higher tax states and making money off it. It turns out they were doing that to raise money for Hezbollah overseas when Joseph Hines was the district attorney in Brooklyn in the 1990s him and his detectives did a sting that captured cigarettes enough to for $2 million worth of of revenue when you subtracted the cost of the tobacco and how much you can make selling it illegally and when he brought this sting down it turned out that it was being run by one of the five major crime families here in New York so not only is this creating scoff laws, Not only does it really seem like it didn't really work in eliminating or reducing smoking in New York, but it created a fodder for criminal enterprises. So what are the solutions? Before I get to the keys to the city that I want to talk about, let me talk about some of the things that have been thrown out there that are either impractical, unlikely, or we've already done. First, the impractical thing, and that is something that our guest when we come back from the break is going to talk about, is to go back and reduce the tax. I don't think that's going to ever happen. Making the tax, lower the taxing, the thinking is, will disincentivize the idea of smuggling in it. But no one wants lower tobacco taxes. I know I don't. The argument for high tobacco taxes is pretty compelling. Ideal but unlikely in that category is a uniform tax around the entire federal, uh, around the country say, rather than have individual state taxes, have a higher federal tax and then redistribute based on where the tobacco is being sold to the various states to be able to offset what they would lose by not having a state tax. The problem with that is kind of similar to the first one. You'd have to go to Congress and get them to raise a tax, unlikely in this environment, but then you'd have to say to some some localities, your tax is going to be overall much higher, I mean, if you're a state like Missouri that has a 19 cents or whatever it is tobacco tax, you're probably going to wind up paying closer to the national average of $1.90. And those local legislators are probably not going to like doing that. And then to some cities, you're going to say, well, you got to lower to get to the national average like New York City or New York State. That's not going to be popular. So it's impractical to believe there's going to be a uniform federal tax, however ideal that that might be. And then there are some things that have already been done. I know this because I did them. It's something called the PACT Act that I passed in my days in Congress. It did things like ban the selling of of tobacco online. Believe it or not, even after FedEx, UPS, DHL had said, we're not going to transport cigarettes or tobacco products at all, the Postal Service still did. And as a common carrier under the law, they had to wait for Congress to pass a law to ban it. I wrote the law that did that, and over 500 websites that were selling tobacco went out of business overnight. Also done in that law was we increased the penalties. We made it more than a misdemeanor under federal law. We made it a felony, and we also gave the Justice Department authority to work with local attorneys general to be able to crack down on this problem. So this is where we get to the part – that this show is all about, which is what are the solutions? We don't just lay out the problems in these things. The idea is to try to come up with solutions and then we'll have someone on the other side who will say if it seems like a good idea or a bad idea. So here are my keys to the city, roughly mirroring what I wrote in Idea40 in my idea books. By the way, the idea books should be available in the link in the show notes for keys to the city. But for me, it comes down to three basic things. One, enforcement, rewards, and lawsuits. Under enforcement, doing stings at both ends of this supply chain are relatively easy to do because we know roughly where these cigarettes are coming from. Doing a sting, say, at the Shinnecock Reservation, not on the reservation, but just watching big trucks coming out of there, heading west towards New York City, trying to crack down on those coming from Native American reservations. These reservations are not big. Where they sell cigarettes is obviously a limited number of things. In the case of the Shinnecock, they're relatively close to the roadside. Just going there and standing there for a while and saying, let's try to find people filling up their trucks and leaving the reservation. Theoretically, owning the, uh, having those those cigarettes off the reservation is not illegal, but you've got to show you paid taxes for them. Also, at the bodega side, at the supermarket side, at the place that sells these things, this is where these panel trucks have to do a tour going around selling them all. It's relatively easy to find who's doing the these things, set up some of these things. It's also possible of coming between North Carolina and the Southern states that have low taxes just to wait on 95. ATF, alcohol, tobacco, and firearms, the same agencies that crack down on the iron pipeline of guns also can be looking for these illegal cigarettes because they're very often the same people that are doing these illicit activities. Secondly, when you go into a place that is found to have been selling illegal tobacco, you can there are ways beyond the fines that we have. These are all, all, Many of them also have licenses to sell lotto tickets. You can take away that access to lotto. That would be a way to punish them further. And another element of the enforcement is to prosecute some of these local stings federally, to really let the teeth of the federal government and the investigative powers of the feds cut into this problem. The second part is rewards. Remember how much money is at stake here. Potentially. Billions of dollars. And this I didn't mention in the first part. You know, when I talk about the revenue lost, the, the big question that might come to mind is well, how much are we really losing? It's very hard to figure out because it's a counterfactual, right? We don't know for sure who's going, who is just not buying here because they've quit smoking or who is engaging in the smuggling. But if we just take the national average, In reduction in smoking, and assume that everything else in there is smuggling. Meaning, if we assume that 27% of there was a 27% reduction in New York City, just like there has in the rest of the country, and we take a look at the 83% reduction in the amount of tobacco being sold, and we can figure out the difference, it's over a billion dollars a year, up to $4 billion since this thing has been passed. So it's a lot of money. So getting back to the idea of rewards, we have $70 worth of taxes that we are putting on these tobacco products between the state, the city, and the sales tax. If you give people, say, $5 a pack or $3 a pack in terms of reward that you give them for turning in where you bought illegal cigarettes, you might create a whole community of people who are looking around for these things because it's worth their while to do it. So that is the reward part of my three-pronged solution. And the third part might be the most, well, it might be the most successful tact. And that is, I believe that the New York State Attorney General should sue Big Tobacco for this problem. So what would be the basis of the lawsuit? Well, unlike what I just described, we don't know for sure what tobacco is traveling where. You know who does? The manufacturers. The manufacturers know where they're selling and have reason, can reasonably figure out that some of this stuff is, is, is being transferred over state lines illegally. And how would they know that? Well, they know where they're sending their shipments. And they know, for example, based on the federal tax collected, we know that North Carolina, which has half of our population, sells 250% more cigarettes than we do. Okay, So, we know that not every man, woman, and child in North Carolina is smoking five packs a day. We know what these tobacco companies surely know, which they are sending some distributors way, way, way more than they could possibly be consuming in their local area. Therefore, they should know that there is a illegal practice going on. By the way, what are they doing to stop this? Nothing. Bupkas, because they don't want to stop this smuggling because the smuggling allows their consumers to get around the tax and thus reduce the cost of their product with no cost to them, with no burden to them. So I believe the attorney general of the state of New York should sue Big Tobacco and their lawsuit should be based upon the knowledge that Big Tobacco knows that these laws and that they are, as part of this conspiracy, they are letting it happen. There is no downside to suing big tobacco. It's a popular thing to do, just no one's thought to try to do it. And given how much it's costing the taxpayers of the city and state of New York, and given how much could potentially be at stake if we're able to reclaim some of that money through a lawsuit, it's definitely worth trying to do. So when we get back from the break, we're going to talk to someone who is in the business of affixing the tax stamp to all these cigarettes to indicate and, and to collect the taxes. This is someone at the front line who could say, I can tell you how much is being diverted, and we'll be able to talk to him, see what he thinks of my ideas. On the other side of the break, thank you so much for joining us on Keys to the City. Welcome back to Keys to the City. Before the break, I explained we're talking today about the weird math of sin taxes, particularly tobacco taxes, and my suggestion from Keys to the City, that we basically throw everything at the kitchen sink at trying to collect the taxes that are owed, but recognize that sometimes when we try to influence activity by raising the taxes on it, it doesn't have the effect that we think it's going to have. And so each week on Keys to the City, for those of you who are new to the program, we like to bring in an expert in the subject because I am a lot of things, but probably expert is not one of them. And today, I want to welcome in Stephen Schwartz. Stephen is the proprietor and owner of a company called Globe Wholesale. He is someone that is empowered by the city and the state to collect the tobacco taxes, and he distributes tobacco and candy. And before Stephen, you say hello. I want to explain to listeners that I—I I guess I'm a member of the media now, so I have to declare any conflict of interest that I have. And my conflict is that you and I have been friends forever and that your dad, Leonard Schwartz, of blessed memory, who you lost during COVID, and my dad, Morton Wiener, went to law school together at NYU Law School, I guess in the early 1400s? When was it, Steve? When was it that they went to law school together?
0: I think you're being too kind. I thought it was in the 1300s, but yes, they are proud NYU graduates, and they are as close of friends that two people could have ever been And they introduced two
1: new generations into the world. Yeah, exactly. Weiner and Schwartz. So let me uh, just explain a little further before we we dive into the subject. So Leonard Schwartz, who was the founder, I guess, of Globe Wholesale, introduced me to this issue. He was not,
0: though. Maxwell, my grandfather, started Globe. Okay. 75 years.
1: 75 years ago. And so- if you do a little bit of digging and you look for a New York Times story when I ran for mayor, not in 2005, but I think it was in 2013, The New York Times did a story about they were trying to take me down, and they did a story about how light my legislative record was. I don't know if you remember this, Steve. And mm-hmm. they said the only law he's passed is something called the Pact Act. And it was something that I have explained, I, as I explained earlier, I was proud to sponsor, but they said that I did it because I had a conflict of interest because your dad and you and the whole family had donated to me, which was all it was all true that you had donated to me. But you started donating and being my supporters and putting up my posters when I first ran for council in 1991. So there it is. The whole world now knows that your family, and my family go way back. We've got that out of the way. And I'm proud to know you guys, and I'm proud to have worked on this issue, but now let's jump into the meat of it. Tell our listeners a little bit about what a wholesale tax stamper, what a distributor of tobacco does in terms of collecting the taxes that city and state lawmakers decide they want to put on a pack of cigarettes. How does that work? So
0: we are one of, there used to be about, I would say 300 stampers in New York, and it went down to 60, and then it went down to 20. And today in New York City, I think we are one of three, but we are the major one. So Globe is the last of the Mohegans, and we have a something called a stamping machine. And its stamping machine basically, you know, has a stamp on the cigarette, which makes a legal product we collect for the city and the state. And the whole business is like a taxi medallion. You know, this is like a taxi medallion kind of business. We are the last of the dinosaurs, the last of the Mohegans, and we collect the revenue for New York City and New York State.
1: And how does uh, right that work? From- so, R.J. Reynolds sends you cases of cigarettes. So, R.J.
0: Reynolds sends no. us cigarettes, cases of cigarettes on a daily basis. We cut them up. They're unstamped. We stamp them, okay? And, you know, it is a practice of you have to see it to believe it this is a machine and it goes through a machine and you take all your truckloads of cigarettes and everything goes through this one machine and basically you know that's what makes us different from everybody else because but, no but t-
1: explain but explain what, do, what and do so the machine puts a tax stamp on does that mean then then you go out and sell this? tobacco to a neighborhood bodega or a supermarket. Right. So
0: we have 3000 bodegas and supermarkets that we sell throughout the city. We sell in all five, five boroughs and you know, it's a rough business, you know, let's face it. Well, know- before
1: you go into how rough it is, I want to, I want to understand how it works. So okay. you then collect from these bodegas, these are the state, the portion that is owed to the state. So you take the amount, the pack of cigarettes costs, right? and the amount that the tax is you then go sell it and then you send a big check to the city and state that's basically how it works
0: that's basically how it works
1: got it and so as a licensed tax stamper and you said you're one of very few you would in starting in about 2002 when i explained this tax went up dramatically did you see that there were you know overnight The amount of people buying the cigarettes that were legally tax-stamped dropped dramatically. Like I think you once told me it's like 80% it fell off.
0: Absolutely. We lost our whole business basically because of Mike Bloomberg's idea that by raising the taxes, he was going to raise a lot of money and he ended up killing the legitimate businessmen. Like I said, there was probably 60 distributors at that time and i would say 58 of them either went out of business or merged with other people or just got out
1: but how do you know it's just not that people just stop smoking and said it's too expensive we're not going to smoke anymore
0: well you know people come and go all the time on that on cigarettes and the bottom line is is that we have been we have had enforcement we have had all kinds of people go into these bodegas and groceries throughout the city and you will see that they have our tax stamp And then they have another layer of cigarettes. And that layer of cigarettes is illegal cigarettes that they sell at every other captain. They keep enough of our stuff and then they buy some of our stuff just to show some sort of legitimacy.
1: But for every two cartons that we sell, we should be selling 10. So it could be that fewer people are smoking. Obviously, fewer people are smoking in the country. That's definitely happening. But you're seeing a reduction. I mean, the way I've understood it before is that The number of cigarettes that say RJ Reynolds is selling in the country, we know that number because they collect federal tax, right? Listen, the bottom line is there's
0: too much money. Here's the bottom line, make it real simple. There's too much money in it for a guy who wants to break the law, send his truck to Virginia, send it to New Jersey, send it to Pennsylvania, send it to North Carolina, come on back, sell it to these bodegas and groceries, set up their own distributors sites, totally illegal, set it up to individuals. I go to my neighborhood barbershop, okay? And a truck pulls in and goes, who wants Newports? Who wants Marble?
1: Where do those trucks
0: come from? North Carolina, Virginia, New Jersey, Pennsylvania. The taxes are completely, completely different. The taxes for what we sell a carton of cigarettes for legitimately, there's probably an $80 difference, a 60 or $80 difference that's tremendous.
1: And and when it comes to
0: all because the taxes are different in every state.
1: Well, there's also one other thing, and that is that a case of cigarettes is very easy to smuggle. It's very easy to put it in the back of your car. Some things if you had a tax on it to get it here to New York. You know, people talk about how easy it is to get guns from other states to New York. But that's relatively hard compared to a case of cigarettes, which anyone can just throw in the back of their panel truck. But let me ask you this. Let me ask you a question about this, though. You've said that you know that bodegas have these. Is that because when your guys go out and make their drop-offs, they get to know pretty well where these places are? Like if I were to go in, and I should point out, you don't smoke, do you, Steve? No, no, yeah, I, I don't. From? I don't smoke either. But if you go into one uh, to a neighborhood bodega, and you wink at the guy and said, "Do you have anything cheaper than these?" Right, they'll whip out a pack of one that has no tax stamp or a fake tax stamp on it. Yeah. Right.
0: You know, New York City is the epicenter, I mean, the absolute epicenter of the whole nation. It is the dumping zone of the whole nation of illegal cigarettes.
1: That's, this, is that because our tax rate is so much higher than everyone else? Yeah,
0: absolutely. This is because our tax rate is so much higher. And being a legitimate cigarette distributor like we are, and we have been for 75 years, you know, regardless of whether or not people are, are stopping smoking or not stopping smoking, All right? So what you're saying is that if people did stop smoking, okay, it has nothing to do with the bottom line that we have already had sting operations, enforcement operations, that they go in there and they seize all these illegal cigarettes. We see what's going on. It's right in front of our faces. Our salespeople go in and see illegal cigarettes. There isn't a bodega probably in the city that hasn't at one time either been solicited Or I would say 80% of them give into that thing about temptation, even though it's breaking the law, you know, because there's no enforcement and it is like the wild, wild west out
1: there. Well, it seems like before we talk a little bit about what you what you think your solution is, it seems like the worst combination that you take an addictive product you raise the tax really high, you allow illegal lower, cheaper products to come in and then you force people into, we don't force them, but you give them the choice of either giving up their cigarettes, which some of them might be inclined to do, maybe the money leads them to do it, paying a lot more for it or becoming a scofflaw. Basically someone who's a law abiding citizen say, listen, when it comes to this and they're so readily available and so let me, let's talk a little bit. This program is dedicated to not just Anthony, cursing can the I, darkness, can I, say one thing the solution.
0: Go Anthony, ahead. I just say one, one sure. thing? Is that we've tried everything. They had lotto machines in these places. Back in the day, there was ideas of taking away their lotto, making cigarettes connected to every product line that they use. So meaning, the meaning the bodega, meaning punishing the
1: bodegas for selling
0: them. Absolutely. Right. So what ends up happening is some of these bodegas lose their cigarette license. They don't care. It's a good thing for them in a way. They lose their cigarette license, so they're not selling cigarettes and no one's enforcing the law, but they're buying cigarettes and say, like, hey, we sell cigarettes. But like we talked about, it comes out a different way. They're making a fortune doing this. The city is losing all that revenue, billions of dollars of revenue that belongs to them. Okay? Belongs to the city. We sit there and we talk about how are we going to build this? How are we going to do better for schools? How are we going to do better for healthcare and everything? In this thing, we are a legitimate business that has gotten completely polluted. This is not even an industry anymore. Well, now, the, I want to drive that point home, Anthony. Yeah,
1: I, I, I get it. But you know, as much as it's a problem for your industry, I get that. The point you made earlier is the salient one, which is: what if you raise a tax so high that not only doesn't anyone pay it, but they evade it? Like it's a human economics question. So I have suggested in the key that we're talking about today, set up some stings where you follow the trucks from the place you know they're coming from. North Carolina, for example. We know they're coming from the Shinnecock Reservation to the east. We know they're coming from reservations to the north. You do the crackdown at local bodegas, which is something that every once in a while, you guys in the industry just go out and collect data and find out. But one thing I want to get your viewpoint on What about the idea of the state of New York suing the tobacco companies because the tobacco companies know that they're sending so many more cigarettes to North Carolina than North Carolinians could ever possibly consume? Isn't there some kind of a racketeering statute that maybe can be looked at to hold these tobacco companies accountable?
0: A hundred percent. It's something that we've looked at for years, the allocations in these small little areas, where you know that there's only like like 6,000 people living in that in that whole area and they are shipping in millions of cartons of cigarettes going right through these places in Virginia and North Carolina. This is a joke because big tobacco can stop this tomorrow. Okay? That was part of A1 solution, all right? And it's a no-brainer. And at some point, you know, we're looking at our options and stuff like that, but we're trying to work with uh, big tobacco. Again, we've been around for 75 years. We're trying to do this the right way. They have completely dropped the ball. And that's a very good point by you. And like I said, you've been a champion all the way through with tobacco. You know, and you've understood the issue like no other politician has. Well, but listen, the part, I of mean, part of it, is, of it I the am. Politicians are not, you know, we, we had, you know, a Governor Cuomo before he went down in New York was looking to do a lot of good stuff and he began to understand the issues and then he had trouble.
1: And well, now- the, the, the problem is with this issue, Stephen, and I'll tell God. you this is that the idea ultimately is the taxes on this unpopular product that we all dislike were raised too much That's locally. Right. And so once you have done that, you're left with really two possible solutions. One, adjust your taxes downward, which no one wants to do because no one wants to be cutting taxes on tobacco because it's such a sinful product and so harmful to people's health and everything else. And also it requires a certain intellectual intellectual acuity to be able to say, hey, sometimes if you lower the taxes, you'll actually collect more of it because people won't be incentivized to dodge it. But the second piece of it is that enforcement is really difficult because it's such an easy thing to sneak in. And I've said that before. I mean, just think about it for a moment. I mean, if you wanna take a box of cigarettes, a carton of cigarettes, you can lift it very easily. You can toss it around very easily. It's a very light product. Let me ask you one final thing.
0: Can I give you the final solution? Sure, sure. yeah. I have that's the what we're final here for. solution for you. This is the final solution. It comes from up above. It comes from heaven. It comes from my father, Lenny Schwartz, who was a champion of this thought. And this is the thought. His dream, his tobacco dream of solution was a national one price for the country. That is something that he would mean a uniform tobacco tax. A uniformed yeah. tobacco tax that would even out every single state and put the power back to the government and have them collect their taxes and basically right. clean so, up the industry.
1: Just so Completely. I understand, there's already a federal excise tax on tobacco, right? Yes. And then each city or each state then puts its own on and in rare occasions, New York City, one of them, puts an additional tax on top. And what you're proposing and what Lenny proposed was that you basically come up with a national tax and that's it. And you basically, you raise it to accommodate the lost revenue that states might get. That's a great idea. The only weakness of it, and I've pointed this out, I used to point out to Lenny, I'll point it out to you, is that for some people, it is going to mean their tobacco is gonna get cheaper overnight. And politicians don't wanna make anyone's tobacco cheaper overnight, but I get your point. The point is that some policies, and this maybe is a perfect footnote to end with. Some policies, we can have the best ideas in the world in New York City. We can have the best idea for gun laws. We can have the best idea for taxation. We can have the best idea for health but if it is too easy for people to evade it by going to another city or another state, then the best ideas in the world won't work. Fair summary. Perfect. Perfect. What's is that? exactly what I think. Stephen, I keep telling people I've got the perfect ideas. Unlike the former president, I've got the perfect ideas. Listen, I really want to thank you, Steve. I want to express my gratitude to you both for being a friend and for being a great guest here in Keysla city. And also to thank you, you're an agent of the taxpayer, It's a business that you're in, but, you know, people wonder how do taxes get collected? Who does it? Well, you're one of the people that does it. So this might be an instance where this policy benefits you as a business, but if you collect more tax, that's better for all taxpayers. So I want to thank you for doing what you do. Thank you, Anthony. And we'll be right back on Keys to the City. (laughs) Well, that was an interesting conversation. I hope you found this episode of Keys to the City interesting. If you'd like to lob in an idea uh, to Keys to the City, we have a special email address, Keys City at wabcradio.com. So far, the response has been really good. People have been throwing in some ideas, and we're trying to arrange some interviews to, to support those ideas and discuss them. Also, if you want any editions of this podcast or any other podcasts that are produced at the Red Apple Podcast Network, I encourage you to go visit there. Some interesting things from the personalities who are on WABC 770 Talk Radio in New York and some other people who just contribute podcasts. And you can also find episodes of my weekly radio show, The Middle, which is on every Saturday from 2 to 3 also on the WABC app and then I go join Curtis Sliwa on left versus right And so I really do appreciate your support. I also want to start offering opportunities for people who find factual mistakes that you can always toss in any kind of mistake you think I make in terms of reasoning or logic. But I want to try to be as factually accurate as we can here. Someone pointed out an an error that I made in episode one where I said there were 2,200 murders in 2013. I meant to say in 1993 – So I thank you for pointing out that mistake, and I'll be trying to update things and make addendums as we go along. Here on Keysless City, thank you so much for joining me. I'll see you next week for another edition and episode seven.